morning. Um, I didn't personally know John Audrey Bedford, although I was aware of John from um, some network meetings that we'd been to, but everything I've heard on Facebook and what people have said the last couple of days just makes me realise that as people have looked at them, they've sort of said they were people who lived with wisdom. And that's really what I want to talk about this morning is how do we live with wisdom? And this is the last ever talk at an 11 o'clock service. So there's big pressure to make it a good one. I will do my best. (laughs) Um, While I was writing this talk, I actually made a discovery about myself. I made one or two actually, but I'll come to some of those others later. And I discovered that I had, if I call it a medical condition, it's not really quite true. But there's something about my body that's not quite right that I've been aware of for a long time. And I found out it had a name. And the name of this issue was called hypodontia. Don't worry, we're not going on embarrassing bodies or anything like that. All it means basically is I don't have a full set of teeth. Because when my wisdom teeth were coming through, only three out of four made an appearance. So I don't know where the other one is. Perhaps it's still in there. Perhaps it just never was. But I only have three out of four of my wisdom teeth. And um, actually... Last week I was, went to the dentist, as you do. I avoid it if I can, but you know, you have to go. And um, they did all that funny one, two, three, a cruisal thing around your mouth and said, um, <laughs> you've got a small hole in one of your wisdom teeth. I thought, great, God, I don't need any more illustrations, please. You know, he said, um, we'll give you a choice. You can have it filled or we'll take it out because it's unnecessary. You don't need it. I'm thinking, mate, that's well attached That is part of me, and I'm keeping it if I can. I'll have the fill-in, thank you very much. I just sometimes in my weirder moments think, well, because I've only got three out of four, does that mean I'm only 75% as wise as maybe I could be? And if they take one out, I'm only 50%. You know, if people lose all their wisdom teeth, that could be real trouble. So, you know, and wisdom teeth are called wisdom teeth because they appear when you become an adult, And that apparently is the time when you're supposed to gain wisdom, the beginning of your adulthood. And so hence, that is why they are called wisdom teeth. So how wise are you on a scale of 1 to 10, where 10 is like really wise and 1 is like not much at all there really? Yeah, how wise? What would you give yourself as a mark? I would have probably said a few weeks ago, maybe a 6, perhaps a 7 on a good day, you know, I've I'm well into my middle years. I've learned a few things, I think, and experienced a bit of life. So maybe I'm about a six or a seven. That was up until about a month ago. And about a month ago, we had a baptismal service. You may remember it. And if you're not aware under this stage, as we've already said, there's a big tank. And you don't realize probably that it takes about two days to prepare the tank ready for a baptism. And what happens is it has to be filled up with water. That takes quite a long time. And then we float these special heaters on top to warm the water nicely because we're Western Christians. We couldn't possibly get baptised in cold water. So we make it all nice and lovely. And when we were approaching the last baptism, Chris Neville normally does all that. And he said, you know what? I'm not going to be around for the couple of days before the baptism. What are we going to do? And it was like a bit of a flap and a bit of a fuss. And I'm like, come on. You know, I've had baths before. How hard can it be to fill a tank up with water? So I got the job. Dan Bennett got the heater end of the job. I got the fill it up with water job. 
So on the Friday before um, the Sunday, I got to work. I was here quite early. It was 8 o'clock in the morning. And I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get the tank filling up with water. If I can get the lid off, I'll get on with it. So the lid is in sort of four panels. And the one this end, which is the plug hole end, is quite small. So I managed very easily to get the lid off. I thought, great, this is all right. This is easy. Got down into the tank, pulled the plug put the plug in, pulled it out, put the plug in and then discovered another thing about myself. What I found was that eight years of running and keep fit had done nothing whatsoever for my upper body strength. And I was stuck in the tank. No phone, just me, eight o'clock in the morning, can't get out. And then you start to think, in about half an hour, church staff are going to turn up. I could see the photos on Facebook. I could see church news, you know. This is what's happened this week. Operations leader gets stuck in the baptistry. Because, you see, you think that we work with all these nice, lovely Christian people who would not do anything that mean to you, but you'd be wrong. They would. Totally. I have to say I am ever in the debt of the wonderful Mr. Lee Burroughs, elder of this church and amazing worship leader for rescuing me before the staff got in and without any photographic evidence. So how wise are you feeling now, Rach? Well, probably about a three, I think, if I take that into account. But what is wisdom? It's one of those things, isn't it? We kind of hear the word and then we're like, "Mm," try and describe it. It's a bit like, well, it's, um, you know... And there's an ancient theory, which they call humility theory, which basically says if you don't think you're wise then you're probably wise. Which, mm, I can see the no pride thing about that, but I've met people who probably didn't think they were very wise and they were probably right, and I'm probably one of them. (laughs) And then there's this idea that maybe if you have a lot of knowledge, and there's a certain connection here because quite often people who are very wise, they do know a lot of things, they do have a lot of knowledge. But I had all the knowledge to fill the baptismal tank up and look what happened. Wisdom isn't just about knowledge, it's about something else, something deeper, something you apply. And I read this um, little description of what wisdom was, which is a bit long, but I thought it summed it up quite well. It said, wisdom is what you need to understand in order to live well and cope with the central problems and avoid the dangers in the predicaments human beings find themselves in. And I wanted to slightly adapt that, not to just say what you need to understand, but what you need to apply and understand. So my little description is what wisdom is what you need to understand and apply in order to live well and cope with the central problems and avoid the dangers in the predicaments human beings find themselves in. So who wants to know how to live well? I certainly do. And I trust you probably do too. And just because we have wisdom doesn't avoid these unavoidable problems. Life will still have its problems. But if we can live with wisdom, we can negotiate them well and cleverly and avoid some of the pitfalls and lead a good life. And I certainly want some of that. So how do we get wisdom to enable us to live well? How do we grow and become wise? And the Bible has got lots to say on this subject. We could be here for weeks, but we're not going to be, so don't worry. And while I was thinking about this, I was reading some words in the book of Deuteronomy, which is near the beginning of the Bible. And this is some verses from chapter 4, verse 5. 
It says this, See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their God near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him. And the book of Deuteronomy, as I said, is one of the oldest books in the Bible. It's one of the first five, and it's all about the law. And it's this new nation called the nation of Israel that was forming. And it's like, how do they make that work? How do they govern themselves? How do they live together in harmony? How are they going to get the best out of life? And God stepped in with some rules for them to follow and some laws. And the words in Deuteronomy suggest that wisdom is found for them by obeying some of these rules. Now, understand here, I'm not saying at all that to become a Christian is about obeying rules. That's a really common misunderstanding. In fact, my my youngest daughter's just done RE, and uh, the question was asked in the class of, um, you know, how do Christians know that they're going to heaven? And someone put their hands up and said, they keep the Ten Commandments. And yes, that's the right. What? That is a common misunderstanding. You're not a Christian because you obey rules. And obeying the rules is not how you become a Christian. But the Bible suggests that to live a life in wisdom, there are some things that we need to get sorted out. Some of you are probably thinking, I don't like rules very much, especially for younger. It's like, ooh, rules, school rules. Yeah, rules are here to be broken. And what about freedom? And we're free in God and we run freedom in Christ classes. So how does that work? If you're not a Christian today, you might think, well, you know what? I told you so. That's what Christianity is. It's all about thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. But you know, true freedom is not about the ability to live exactly how you want to live. And I'd like to illustrate this, but you're going to have to, some of you use your imaginations a bit. I want you to imagine that we are going to go up to the top of Asda Car Park All right, it's a really nice sunny day. It's a big space. Let's pretend there's no cars up there. All right, and it's nice and sunny. And what you're going to do is you're going to put your trainers on and we're going to go for a run. We're going to go round and round. I want you to imagine that you can run really fast, perhaps like you did when you were a kid. All right, and you've got your trainers on and you're going to start running. You're going to go really fast all the way around. And you're going to feel the freedom of that. And you're going to have the wind blowing in your hair if you've got some. And you're going to have a really good experience of freedom. Now I want you to imagine... Exactly the same, but we're going to take the barrier down around the edge of the car park. How many of you would go up there and run freely then? You'd be going, oh, little steps, got to be a bit careful, it's a bit windy, oh, you know. You wouldn't go that near the edge, you wouldn't use the whole space, you'd stay nearer the middle, you'd go slower. You wouldn't run with freedom because there's no barrier on the end. Some of you, me included, probably wouldn't run at all. And our view of freedom can really be influenced by our view of what God is like. And back in the ancient times, people used to kind of be fearful of the gods. You know, and if their harvest failed, it was like, oh, we must have upset the gods. Or if there was a thunderstorm, oh, what's going on? The gods are angry. And they always had this idea that God was punishing them and God was there, you know, out to get them. And they developed rituals and superstitions to try and make the gods be on their side and get a good harvest and things. 
And we hear that even now in a little bit of a jokey way sometimes. Have you ever heard someone tell a lie? And then they go, oh, watch the thunderbolt. You know, it's all there's a man up there on a cloud and he's just ready to get you. And if we have this idea that we're a burden to God, then we can see his rules as being restrictive and, and wrong. But we don't serve a God like that. Right at the beginning of the Bible, God, there's a description of the story of creation. And, you know, some people get so wound up on whether that's a scientific account or not, and they really miss the point. Because the point says God made this, and he said it was good. God did something else, and he looked at it, and he went, that's good. God made human beings in his own likeness, and he said, that's good. No, he didn't say as a text message, I don't know what that was. He said, that's good. He said, I've made human beings in my image, and it's good. He wants us. He likes you. He loves you. God's attitude to his people is that of a loving father, not of an angry dictator. So when we look at freedom and we look at God's sort of guidelines and his rules, they're not there to restrict you or make you feel bad. They're coming from a loving father. And you know, this baby we've dedicated today, wasn't she so cute and beautiful? It almost made me broody, but only almost. <laughs> and uh, as Leon said, we don't practice baby, bapti- baby baptism. We, we dedicate the baby and we pray for the parents as we've done this morning. Because, you know, that baby, she's so beautiful and she's so cute and she's so perfect. But unfortunately, very soon, in the next few months and years, the parents are going to learn something. Because your dear, dear baby is going to start saying words like no and mine and shan't. And sometimes she's going to get jealous and angry and I'm so sorry to break this to you, but this will happen. And she will learn all those traits all by herself. You won't have to teach her. She'll just do it. And if you're wise parents, you'll have to sit down and you'll have to say, how are we going to handle this? What kind of rules and guidelines are we going to put down so that our daughter can really be trained to live a really good life? How are we going to guide her in the right way? What will our strategy be? Why will they do that? Will they do that because it's like, well, we want her to suffer. We want her to be restricted. We want her spirit and her will to be broken. She's going to make us angry sometimes. She's going to break her hearts and we're going to punish her. No, that's not the attitude. They'll lay down some rules and guidelines because they love her so much and they want the best for her. And that's a picture really of how God looks at us. If you think of God as this evil dictator, his rules are restrictive and difficult. If you see him as the loving father, you'll see that that it's in your best interests and you can live a life that is free. So then, if we're wise, if we obey God's rules, what exactly are these rules that we're meant to be looking at? And in the Old Testament, there's loads and loads and loads, really, and some of them are really confusing, and I'm really not going to talk about them, because often they're applicable to the ancient culture of the time, and they're not things that we would follow today. But someone actually rather helpfully came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what are the rules that we need to keep? And he answered this. He, He broke it down to two. I think we can do with two, can't we? And he said this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbour as yourself. And that comes from Luke chapter 10. So what does it mean then to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength? You know, we all have a God. You might be a Christian this morning. You go, well, yeah, I know that. That's easy. 
you might be not a Christian, you might be, you know, just looking into faith. And, but it, whoever you are, you will have a God. You will have something inside of you that you put your hope and your trust and reliance in. You'll have something that's in the centre of your life. It might be that you are in the centre of your life. It might be that it's you yourself that you put your hope and your trust in. It might be your friends, it might be your family, but someone or something will be there. And loving God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind means fundamentally that God comes and occupies that middle spot. God is in the centre. And when that happens, we gain so much. You might think, but if I do that, I'm going to lose. No, you're not, you're going to gain. And I'm going to tell you a few things that you're going to gain. First of all, God knows what he is doing more than you do. And you can tap into his wisdom and knowledge. There's a verse in Isaiah 55 and it says this, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You know, God knows not just about you, but he knows about the next person and he knows what's going to happen tomorrow and he knows what happened to you in the past. He connects it all together. He can see the whole big picture. So when he says, my thoughts and my ways are higher than yours, he can be trusted in that. He knows what he is doing more than you do. He's faithful and he can be trusted. Psalm 106, for great is your love, higher than the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. And what the person in that is saying, when it says reaches to the skies, he's basically saying, as far as you can see, that's how far the faithfulness of God reaches. If God's in the center of your life, he wants to change you. He wants to change your life and make it into something amazing. And there's a verse in the New Testament in Philippians 1 that says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Christians are not perfect. If any of you them say that they are, they're really not. It's not true. But we are people who God is working on and he is going to finish that work. He's going to carry it on to completion. And if he's in the centre, he can make those changes that are necessary. And the fourth reason why this is such a good idea to have God in the centre is basically this. He loves you. And there's some verses in Ephesians that say, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide, how long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I just want to read that again. I want that to really go deep down. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide... How long, how high and deep is the love of Christ? And to know this love, and it says actually that surpasses knowledge, which means to know this love that actually you're never going to know the whole thing because it's too big and too wide and too high. But that you can know it and be filled with the fullness of God. I could go on, but get the point. If you love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, if you give your whole self to him, if you put him in the center, you can't lose because you gain so much. 
And the verse goes on to say, and love your neighbour as yourself. And it then unpacks, you know, who is my neighbour? Is it just the guy what lives next door? No, it's not just the guy that lives next door. It's, you know, it goes on to unpack even people who are your enemies or who you don't particularly see would be your neighbour are included in the word neighbour. And this is where the whole thing kind of comes full circle because we've talked about rules and following God's rules. But you know what? If everybody loved their neighbour as they love themselves... We wouldn't need any rules, would we? We wouldn't need them. And in this sort of world that we live in, you know, that has got so we have so many rules, so many laws, because people will go off and oh, we'll put a law around that to stop that, and then somebody does something this way and they put a law around that, and it gets so much and so big, and we've lost the moral sort of sense of you know what we should and shouldn't be doing that because we've taken God from the center place in our nation and we've lost that and because of that we just have to try and put in more and more rules and regulations to try and keep us all on the straight and narrow and Jesus stands in the middle and says love your neighbor as yourself that's it it's simple and if you can you imagine a world can you imagine getting up tomorrow morning and living in a world where everyone loved their neighbor like they love themselves We talk about transforming lives, communities and nations. How transforming would that be if that was what people did? Rules would not be required anymore. The problem is this is only truly possible when we get the first part of having God in the centre of our lives right. If you are in the centre of your life, you won't truly love your neighbour as yourself. If your neighbour has a need and you're at the centre of your life, You'll see that need through the lens of yourself and you'll ask questions like, do I have the time? Do I have the resources? Can I be bothered? If you see your neighbour's need through the lens of God, then you will have time to do everything that God asks of you. You'll have all the resources because you're connected to God's limitless supply and you will be bothered because you love this person as much as you love yourself anyway. So serving them just feels like serving yourself. What kind of world could we live in if everybody got this? Surely a land where people would say these people are living with wisdom. What about loving your neighbour as you love yourself? Do you love yourself? There's a bit of an idea about, yeah, you know, if you love yourself, oh, they really love yourself. You've ever met anybody and they're like, they really love themselves. Or maybe you've watched programmes on the telly like The Apprentice and if you see them when they talk about themselves and you think, man, they love themselves. And I think they're probably really insecure underneath and it's all bravado. But, you know, there's this idea that if you, think, if you love yourself or you're a bit proud or you're a little bit arrogant. But I actually think most of us, and I'd include myself in this, don't have a problem with too much pride in this area. We have a much bigger problem with not loving ourselves enough because our esteem is quite low. And young people particularly suffer from this often. And I've asked myself why, and I think, well, we live in a society which has turned truth on its head. If you're beautiful in our society, you have to be young, you have to be slim, and you have to be attractive. What happens if you're not young, and you're not slim, and you're not attractive? Some, some of us will only ever get one of those three anyway. You know, and, and even if you're young, slim and attractive at the moment, you're going to lose young at some point and you may well lose slim too. You know, and what are, you know, do we just write people off because they don't fit into this mould? 
And the media is so strong in this. I mean, I, I said a word at the nine o'clock service and I think some people were like, what word is that? And it was the word TOWIE. And some of you know what TOWIE is. You know, it's a program on the telly full of young and slim and attractive people. And some young people look at it and it's like those are the role models that we look at. And so many people are just not going to look like that ever anyway, whatever they do. And we also live in a society where there's an incredible amount of abuse and bullying in schools and, you know, there'll be people here who've suffered from that. And I sort of looked for a bit of statistics on this while I was preparing and I went on the NSPCC website. So it's British statistics. You know, often we quote statistics that can be from the States, but this is British. And they did a study or a survey back in June 2012, so less than 12 months old. And according to this survey, and I had to read it twice to make sure I was reading it right, but it said 25% of young adults in the world, in Britain today, one in four, have suffered some kind of maltreatment, severe maltreatment, it actually said, during their childhood. One in four, 25%, there will be people here today who will say, I fit into that category. And when you think about those people growing up with those self-esteem issues that that leaves and then becoming parents themselves, it's just a time bomb waiting to go bang for the next generation. And we're a nation that have abandoned God and his ways. We look at external rather than inner beauty. We take celebrities as role models and we search for fame, fortune and ultimate purpose in our lives. Are we a wise nation? I don't think that we are. And in the middle of the Bible, there's a, a book called Psalms, and it's a collection of songs and poetry and thoughts and feelings about God. And there's a Psalm, Psalm 139 where the writer talks about his relationship with God. And if you're someone who struggles in this whole area of loving yourself, and you know, I want you to listen and let these words really sink down. It says this, God, investigate my life. Get all the facts firsthand. I'm an open book to you. Even from a distance, you know what I'm thinking. You know when I leave and when I get back. I'm never out of your sight. You know everything I'm going to say before I start the first sentence. I look behind me and you're there. Then up ahead and you're there too. Your reassuring presence coming and going. This is too much, too wonderful. I can't take it all in. Is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit, to be out of your sight? If I climb to the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. If I flew on morning's wings to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute. You're already there, waiting. Then I said to myself, oh, he even sees me in the dark. At night, I'm immersed in the light. It's a fact, darkness isn't dark to you. Night and day, darkness and light, they're all the same to you. Yes, you shaped me first, inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God, you're breathtaking. Body and soul, I'm marvellously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation, you know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit. How I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. 
the days of my life all prepared before I'd even lived one of them. Your thoughts, God, how rare, how beautiful. God, I'll never comprehend them. I couldn't even begin to count them any more than I could count the sand on the sea. Let me rise in the morning and live always with you. Do you have that kind of relationship with God? Would you like to? Wisdom can be seen in our lives when we obey God's rules, when we love him with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and love our neighbours as we love ourselves. But I'm going to say something now that's going to seem like it's going to totally contradict everything I've just said. And you're like, I've just sat here for 25 minutes or whatever listening to you and now you're just about to contradict yourself. But what I'm going to say is this. We've talked about that, what we can do, living with God at the centre, loving our neighbours, loving ourselves. I want to just make a point. You can't do that. Despite everything I've just said, you can't do it because you are a fallible human being. You can try, but you will fail. So what? If you remember back in Deuteronomy, when the people looked at the people of Israel, they saw that they were wise for two reasons. The first one was because they obeyed the rules that God had set. And the second one was because God was close to them when they called on him. And that is the key here, you see. Is your God near to you when you pray? Because you will mess up. You will get it wrong. And there's a verse in 1 John uh, that says, If we claim we're free of sin... We're only fooling ourselves. A claim like that is errant nonsense. On the other hand, if we admit our sins, make a clean breast of them, God will not let us down. He will be true to himself. He will forgive our sins and purge us from all wrongdoing. So how great is our God that he hedges us around with guidelines for living a good life, which if we really take notice of them, we can live in freedom. But when we mess up, he's not sitting there on a cloud with his big stick waiting to poke us and tell us how bad we've been. He, goes, he can sort it out. We call on him and he's like, I'm right there. I'm on it. It's okay. You've messed up, but hey, we can sort this out together. He's near to you when you call to him. If we can get our heads around this, we can learn to live in the reality of this. We will really be living in wisdom. And I just want to, as I'm kind of wrapping up now, and just ask the band to come back. I just want to kind of highlight three areas today where you might feel that you really want to respond. And just whatever you feel God may have spoken to you. First of all, I just want to say, do you love God? Is God at the centre of your life? And some of you might say, well, God's never been at the centre of my life. I've never made that decision to put God in the centre of my life. Or well, some of you may have been a Christian for years and say, well, I have made that decision, but you know what, at the moment, is a little bit off-centre and it's more about me. And you might want to put that right this morning. Secondly, you might be struggling with loving other people. Or it might just be one specific person, maybe someone at work where you're like, does he really have to be my neighbour, you know, really? And maybe you need help in that area of choosing to love your neighbour. Maybe you've been hurt and you need to lay all that down so that you can truly love again. And thirdly, I think this might be the most challenging, but do you actually struggle with loving yourself? Who God created to be? Who God, when he made you, before you were born, made you and said, this is good? Do you look in the mirror and say, this is good or not? 
Perhaps the band could start to, to play. And I'd just like you to close your eyes a moment, if you can. And I want you to do two things as I kind of go back over those three responses. If you feel, yeah, this is me, the first thing I want you to do is quite brave, really, but we're quite brave now. We've done a brave series. I want you to, to stand, and then I'm going to pray for you. But then the second thing I want you to do is I want you to take that thing that God said to you today, and I want you to find someone this week who you can talk it through with and have a conversation and cement it so that you can move on from today. So the first thing then, if you feel like, you know what, I've never really put God first in my life. You know, I don't really love God. And actually, I'd like to do that. I'd like him to be at the centre. Or maybe as a Christian, he's gone off the centre and you want to put him back. You want to have him back as the centre of your life. I'd like you to be really brave and I'd like you to stand. And if everyone else has their eyes shut, they're not going to see you. So I'd like you to stand if that's you. Well, secondly... You might struggle with loving other people. Maybe you do need to lay down a hurt or maybe you need to ask God to really help you with one particular person in your life. Again, I'd like you to stand. And thirdly, and this might be the biggest struggle, but maybe you actually feel like you need some help to love yourself. Maybe you look at yourself and you think, I'm not very lovable and you're not seeing yourself as God sees you. If that's you, I'd like you to be really brave and I'd like you to stand and say, God, I want to love myself the way that you love me. I want to see myself as that person who you see is good and who you see is valuable and who you see as a purpose and a place in your kingdom, God. And I want to love myself how you see me. I want to see myself as you see me so that I can then love other people. And if any of those things, just stand and we're going to pray. Father God, I just want to thank you that you want us to be in the centre. You want us to live good lives. You want us to live lives of wisdom. And God, I thank you that you want to be in the centre. God, and I just thank you for these guys who responded to say, God, come back, be the centre. Jesus, be the centre of my life. Come close. Let you be the person in control. And God, for those who need to lay down hurts because they've served people in the past and it hasn't done well, it hasn't worked out well, and you need to lay that down. God, I just pray for them that you'll bring healing to them, God. And you'll help them to once again love their neighbour or that work colleague who really rubs them up the wrong way. And God, I pray for anyone who's standing, who looks in the mirror and thinks, I'm not good enough. I don't look the way the world wants me to look. I'm not as clever as I should be. But God, you love me the way that you created. You formed me in my innermost being before the creation of the world. And God, you love me and I want to see myself. I want to be able to stand with my head up high and say, I am a child of God and God loves me. God, I just pray that you will reveal that to people. It's great to know that in your head. But God, I pray for revelation deep in the heart that you really love these people, God. Thank you, God. Perhaps we can all stand now and we're going to sing a song that just says, draw me close to you. And it's just about really just coming close to God, that God is our friend and putting him back in that central place. Thank you.